Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Space Trash. Trash in space. Space trash. Lifestyles, the rich and Uranus. Space trash. Celebrities, they're trash. But the astrology can help us understand. Transmission incoming. <laughs> Greetings, trashlings, and welcome back to another episode of Space Trash. Lifestyles are the rich and Uranus. And I'm Sarah Armour. And I'm Molly Molshine, and today we're talking all about the movie Blonde, starring Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe, and it's a little bit of a shit show. We're going to talk through the movie, we both watched it, and then we're going to get into some astrology, maybe we'll do a little sinistry of Anna and Marilyn, uh, so th- get ready, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. Sarah, you've got a Marilyn Monroe sweatshirt on, can you walk me through it? Yeah, you know, before every moonule, I go to like a store wherever I am, and I'm like, this is for this moonule. Randomly, on the 20th. 25th, I was walking around Nyack, New York on a rack outside. I saw this Maryland sweatshirt and I was like, that's what I'll wear to the moon. Perfect for Libra. So I went in and I bought it and I haven't taken it off since. Wait, why is it a perfect for Libra? Well, because she's all about like beauty and like attraction and like using her sexuality and femininity, but like in sort of a masculine way, she was still abused like a woman for it. Because Libra's a masculine sign, but it's ruled by Venus. And so I, I kind of was like, okay, this is the vibe of oh, Libra. Yeah. I mean, I don't see Libras as pretty. I don't know why everyone says that. It just never resonated with me. No offense, Libras. I mean, I know a lot of them are. I know Kim Kardashian's a Libra and she's stunning, but I don't know. I I have to say, I'm not wearing a Marilyn sweatshirt, but Marilyn Monroe in the pop culture pantheon, she stands for a lot of things. One of the things for our generation was the basic girl college pinup along with Audrey Hepburn. So, and I don't subscribe to that ideology. I don't, I think she's so much more than that. I also have, I think there's nothing wrong with being basic. I think a lot of people have reduced Marilyn to a lot of things, but as a nod to that, that aspect of her legacy, I have a pumpkin spice latte flavored beer. You're basic and yet so much more complex too. Exactly. And I haven't tasted it yet. It's the first time I've been able to find pumpkin beer in London. So I'm going to taste it right now. And I'm going to tell you how it is. Taste test. Um, Okay. The face isn't good for anybody that can't see, which is everybody. Oh, oh no. It's very wheaty. Okay. But what a metaphor for the film we're about to discuss, which is like, I finally found it. It's finally out. Within the first sip, you're like, this is disgusting. And that is exactly how I felt watching the film. What did you hear about this film ahead of time, if anything? Well, you know, I obviously knew that Anna was the lead and I want to like Anna and I like Anna in theory. And I heard then that they were thinking about not releasing the film because of all of the the graphic assaults and the gratuity, the sexual gratuity. And so I heard that Netflix was like thinking about not putting it out and then surprise, it's been released. So that's like kind of it. Okay. Yeah. I heard the same thing. I saw a lot of chatter about people saying that it was exploitative and mm-hmm. the the director must be um, sexist and blah, 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 blah. And I saw a lot of people who there's this new trend 
where people are like, why are we making movies about dead people? Let them rest, which I completely Mm. disagree with. I completely disagree with that. There's two schools of thought that keep popping up. We shouldn't be watching things about crime like the Dahmer show and this. I saw this tweet today that had 75,000 likes and this person was like, we don't need more dark media in the world. Like, make sure that you don't watch the Maryland movie and the Dahmer show on Netflix so that they know what we really want to see. And it's like, it's just so silly and it has so much to do with what I do for a living. People want to read read and watch the fucked up shit. They don't want rainbows and unicorns. Like, yes, we want positive things too, but we also have curiosity about things that are fucked up. If we're watching a movie, like a series about Jeffrey Dahmer, it's not because we're like, oh my God, this guy rules. Right. (laughs) It's because in our normal waking lives, we don't even have the opportunity to observe, let alone dissect the psychology of someone that's doing these unthinkable things. Right. And this gives us a a safe way to do that and try to understand Mm -hmm. it for ourselves. So I hate that mindset that, that like this, because this is dark, it shouldn't exist. That is stupid to me. And Another thing that's really stupid to me is, oh, let her rest. Like, yes, she was a human. Yes, she was a three-dimensional person with feelings. But you also cannot deny she is a mythological figure at this point in our culture. And she's like, no, she's not public property, but she is in the stratosphere to an extent where people are going to be free to interpret and misinterpret her for the rest of eternity. She's a Greek goddess at this point. Like we, mm-hmm. we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. So it's just so strange to me that people are like, let this woman rest. It's like, no, no. Why? Why can't we talk about her? Well, so that was one of the things that I was going to ask about the movie because there were, there were a few good things about the movie. Like my first instinct is like, this right. is the worst movie I ever saw in my fucking life. But I think what you're describing is like whether she would have liked this movie or not, I think if we are actually honoring the legacy of Marilyn, and I can even tell you why within the astrology, but like, I actually think even if she doesn't like the movie from above, she de- she is appreciative of of everyone talking about her all the time. Her deepest trauma was that she was so rejected and abused as a child. So I think even the fact yeah. that she is as that she has as big a legacy as she does and that we are still fascinated probably does make her smile. And as much as I love her and worship her, it's beside the point whether she likes the movie about her. (laughs) Right. Nobody likes the stuff other people make about them. Nobody likes that. Do you know what you get when you have that? You get that Liam Gallagher documentary that was just such a steaming pile of masturbatory garbage because it was him talking about how amazing. What was that? I don't think I saw that. It's called Supersonic. It was terrible. And he, it's just, if you want something that's, brand safe for the person it's about that's a press release like we were talking last mm-hmm. week with Ale- or a couple days ago with alexis nyers this is not a press release this is a piece of art that's examining one point of view an external point of view about this woman so that because of those two things the things of people being like we shouldn't make films about dead people and we shouldn't make films about negative topics i think those are two such stupid perspectives that i went into this being like i'm gonna like this because i also knew that it was <laughs> very impressionistic and kind of like a three hour long movie music video. Like I knew that it was going to be that kind of vibe and, and not rooted in reality, completely fictionalized. Like I knew that. And I was like, you know what? I'm not only going to give this a shot. Like, I think that I'm going to be one of the few people that likes it. No, 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 no. (laughs) I, oh my God, I hated it. For a movie to be so simultaneously traumatic and dramatic and yet remain boring is almost a feat hard to imagine exactly and I also was saying on Twitter like 
for a movie to be three hours long, almost <laughs> exclusively in tight focus on this one character, and the character remains one dimensional. One dimensional. How did you do that? How did you do that? How did you make it so boring, so overly simplified? And I hate to call things offensive, but what's offensive to me is the the bad storytelling and the lack of character development. This was just a three-hour delayed train to nowhere. Yeah. Let me read you some of the quotes from the director, Andrew Dominic. Blonde is supposed to leave you shaking. This is from the LA Times. Blonde is supposed to leave you shaking like an orphaned rhesus monkey in the snow. It's a howl of pain or rage. Okay, sure. Fair enough. But- the way that you accomplish that is by building to it slowly, not making the entire movie bash you over the head with pain and trauma. The thing about Marilyn Monroe and the reason why I actually, sorry, I don't think Anna de Armas did a great job in this role. I mean, the source material she was given the script and all was completely one note. So it's no surprise that she was unable to put forth an interesting portrayal, but like she didn't have any of the happiness and light that Marilyn Monroe emanated. Like what we need to remember is the reason why people loved Marilyn Monroe in life was because she was incredibly magnetic, charismatic. She radiated happiness and light and joy. Yes. She, had demons behind closed doors especially toward the end of her life but that doesn't mean she was never ever happy like that doesn't mean it was like one unending fever dream from the time she was born until the time she died like and that's it's just not the way it was what else did they say okay this in the la times story it says he skipped over the seven-year itch stars achievements including forming her own production company in the face of the studio system dealing with the red scare witch hunts while married to arthur miller and boosting the career of singer ella fitzgerald when a nightclub was afraid to book a true jazz singer aka a black woman she was out in the nightclub being like you're booking my friend like she was fighting for this success the entire time she was alive like marilyn monroe her creation from norma jean her transformation from Norma Jean to Marilyn Monroe. It was not an accident. It was not at the hands of men. It was her appointing herself the CEO of her own life. This is a working class hero story, not a exploited sex object story. Yes, she was an exploited sex object, but like that is not the main banner headline of her life. And if you think it is, you are an exploitative person. Well, but then I think you're saying to the director, Andrew, yeah. you're an exploitative person. I felt like even from the beginning, I'm a Julianne Nicholson stan, the one, the woman who played their mother. She was oh also in Mayor of Easttown. I Mayor love her. And I, Tanya, my favorite movie yes. of the last yes. five years, no, 10 years, whatever. She's, she can do no wrong in my eyes. And she, I think it's criminal that she is as underappreciated, underrecognized and unawarded in Hollywood as she is because she actually is a wonderful actress. But even from the beginning, even though I love her and I thought the little girl did a good job, there was so much exposition that it was almost like, it was like they were trying to like cheat, cheat, the rest of the movie with just this heavy beginning. Like when she's like, oh, Norma Jean, remember when the drawer was your crib because we were so poor. It's like of all the things that she's saying that don't make any sense at the beginning because they're trying to show that her mother was mentally ill, for her to just have to throw in these details that where she's totally lucid, just telling us about what was going on, it was a little bit like, like, okay. I think all of my grandparents and your parents slept in a drawer at one point, your grandparents. Like I thought, what a good idea. 
yeah, like in the 30s or whatever, they did not have Kids R Us. Like you didn't go <laughs> like pop down to the store and buy a crib. Like if you were, most people were pretty poor back then and they were just going to be like, all right, this is a built-in docketot. What are we doing? What are we doing? We use the drawer. Well, then I even had the sicker thought where I was like, if this mother was so mentally ill and driving into the fire to kill her kid anyway, why didn't she just close the drawer and suffocate her for de- to death? Jesus Christ. Because <laughs> I'm like, you could have saved us all a lot of fucking pain. Yeah. Yeah. Stark. And it was but, just- but really, it's like, yeah. Okay. But the beginning was the mother driving her into the, fu- what was, what was, the- so was the scene, honestly, the mother was I don't even, at- what was that beginning? I don't even think it's worth trying to figure out because it didn't happen. It was completely right. untrue. Like I think, she- right? It was like an amalgam of all the experiences of her childhood put into like metaphorical cinematic form. Yeah, and as much again, I also love that actress. Like when someone's a crazy person, they don't act like that. And this, okay, this brings me to the next, the next um, quote. What he said when the, I guess the interviewer with LA Times brought up all these high moments in Marilyn's life that he didn't cover. He said, that stuff is not really what the film is about. It's about a person who is going to be killing themselves. So it's trying to examine the reasons why they did that. It's not looking at her lasting legacy. I mean, she's not even terribly concerned with any of that stuff. So, okay. I would say, yes, she was, it was her life's work and she was the one who turned down offers from men that she married and men she was with to have children because she wanted to keep working. She knew she had accomplished something huge and she liked working. There was the the scene where um, Joe DiMaggio says, you need to get more serious roles. She was the one who wanted more serious roles. He wanted her to quit so she could raise kids. Like this guy is just, he's not only like, like sometimes you can use like I Tanya obviously had a they took a lot of liberties with the script but it brought home a deeper truth about the characters and the story involved. This I mean entire, I thought I Tanya I thought I Tanya was a masterpiece. I agree. And this movie is not only taking liberties but it's going directly in the face of the truth and creating a character that didn't exist, did not exist in real life. So the thing and she he says it's about her a person who's going to be killing herself. I think with any sort of like they sort of get at this in Mad Men. I, I always bring up Mad Men, but they sort of get at this in the episode of Mad Men when she dies. Like she was just a normal woman who had some quack doctors who, and yeah, she had demons and she had trauma and she had some quack doctors who were over prescribing her. She had no idea that's what was going on. She, I mean, her death was kind of as mundane as any, it's sad because it's mundane. It's not this big bang and a whimper, you know what I mean? Where you go out in a blaze of glory. It, it was, it's sad and depressing. It's like Anna Nicole Smith. It's like, she, it, it, she did not go out in a blaze of glory. So that's that whole movie acting like her entire life was just this big trauma leading to suicide, which by the way, we don't even know if it was on purpose or not. It probably well, wasn't. Just, that's exactly what I'm saying. Cause even in the movie, they, they, I actually thought the movie was making almost a, a declaration that it, wasn't like through through the eyes of the movie it seemed like it was like it was gonna happen but it doesn't seem like she tried to kill herself it sounds like exactly what you're saying like she was over medicating because she was in a huge amount of emotional pain and one day she just didn't wake up right I mean the doctors killed her like mm-hmm. you listen, if you want to know some real good deep dives about her death and all the mystery surrounding it you must remember yeah. this that podcast has 
a lot of really good episodes. They did one. Oh my God. I love you must remember this. They, they did one season called dead blondes and it was literally every single episode is a Hollywood blonde who died young and they just go oh. through. Oh my God. It's incredible. And like, so I'm they have that right now. Yeah. They have a Maryland episode in that and they have another deeper dive that in that looks at her involvement with the Kennedys and things like that. So, and I think there's, um, that, there's just a bunch of different, if you don't want to read a book about it, there's a lot of really good podcasts that delve into it. Like it's just the simple fact, the simple and mundane fact that these doctors were passing her around like meat, the way that this movie makes it look like men were, which I don't think was true. I mean, someone like a lot of people on Twitter are fact checking all this stuff. First of all, the, the twin twinks that didn't happen that's not true well okay okay first and foremost they weren't playing twins they were playing um charlie chaplin jr and what was his name edward robinson jr so they were two nepotism celebs there were two nepotism sons and she did have short but loving relationships with them both i think like of all the liberties taken in this movie to to take the liberty to make them a gay couple is one of the funniest, right. most like inane choices I've, I've, I've ever seen in fictionalized nonfiction filmmaking. Like they're having threesomes, like literally they made it like they made it. The big part of the first act was like one of the boys was jealous of his relationship with her, but, but they were actually the lovers in the end. They were the couple to make a gay couple out of two guys who were not a couple. Just both happened to date her is like so fucking funny and weird. Happened to, happened to date her at different times. They did at not overlap. Times. And There's they were no- friends. Yeah, there's no evidence whatsoever that she was in a throuple. And that would have been so beyond scandalous in the 1950s. Like, like we've never heard about Edward Robinson or Cass Chaplin to really just like start a rumor about these two random dudes' sexuality that we were never yeah. going to hear from again is so funny in and of itself. Did you yeah. love the stupid quote? We're Geminis, but three. The first act of this film has been so sparse on, on dialogue. And this is what you're giving us? We're Gemini's, but but three of them. It's three well, of us, like, like twins, but there's three. What? Not only is the relationship fictional of its in itself, but why don't you just make the other one a Gemini? You're lying about everything else about him anyway. Yeah, it's so weird. No, that was one of the sentences where I was like, are they just showing us that like she's um an idiot? Like was, I was trying to think like, oh, was this another example of like forcing? Like where it's like, we're just going to call this thruple Gemini because we're all twins, but now you're just raping the Zodiac. Also, yes, she was a sex symbol, but she also liked to be married. She wanted to have a family. She wasn't like, let me get in a thruple. She was pretty conventional, you know? It's just that the only thing that kept her from, oh, this is a great point too. The the thing that kept her from having a kid and the thing that kept her from staying married was that she valued work too much and her husbands didn't like that. So she was not this damsel in distress who, you know, was just like sad all the time. She was like, you know what? I care too much about my job. And the reason why she didn't have, which is great. And the reason why she didn't have abortions, there's no record of her having an abortion. She did have some miscarriages allegedly, and it's because she had endometriosis. So not only is this director erasing like her career ambitions, he's erasing a medical condition that is often erased by doctors to this day because they don't listen to women. And she she didn't have an abortion. 
She had endo. That's insane. I would never have guessed of all the things fictionalized that she wouldn't have had an abortion because I feel like one of the most gratuitous and haunting elements of this film was this like CGI fetus that that talks to her throughout. We should probably explain to people because I think a lot of people, a lot of people have asked me, I put up a really ridiculous clip from it on my Instagram story where she's like, Daddy, did I do a good job? And holds up her eaten oatmeal. And Arthur Miller's like, yeah, you did a great job. And everyone was like, what is that? And I was like, it's this movie. So no one's watching it. I think people are probably going to like, I think a fair amount of people are going to listen to this podcast without watching it, which I think is the best course of action. I would recommend it. Don't watch it. All this to say, I think we should summarize it a little bit as we're talking about it. So the abortion scene is she gets pregnant. It's with one of the twinks, which we really don't. I mean, that never... There's no evidence that ever happened. And then she goes to get an abortion and she's lying on the table and she, there's 50 doctors in the room. This is the most insane scene. Yeah. There's 50 doctors in the room and she's basically saying, I changed my mind. I don't want to have an abortion. So not only did none of this ever happen, but it's, I always have fear of getting surgery because I'm like, what if I have amnesia? And then I'm like, still like conscious for it. It was as if that was what was going on in this scene. Amnesia. And they were like, we're going to really, or not amnesia, anesthesia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had amnesia about the word anesthesia. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. But like, it's like, it's <laughs> so dumb. It's like, now you're there are 50 doctors in the abortion chamber where she's saying, I actually changed my mind and no one's listening. But then they rotoscoped a a vaginal canal yeah so that you get you get a peel so leading up to this abortion scene you're seeing the baby from 2001 a space odyssey it's like supposed to be in her while at the same time i mean this guy has never met a woman in his life i don't think he's had sex this director because he doesn't even know that when your baby looks like a larva maggot until like about four months in and she's showing even longer than that, five or six months, she's she's not showing yet. And he's got this CGI infant. Like, it makes no sense. So well, after it looks like seen- a literal baby doll. And, and, he, and then he becomes a narrator throughout the film. He starts talking. It's ridiculous. And then, so as they're in the abortion room, yeah, you get a POV shot of the 2001 A Space Odyssey baby coming out of, like, you're seeing the cervix. Like, you're literally looking out and seeing all the doctors. It's it is so ridiculous. And it's a just a point of view shot of a baby or of a fetus being aborted that an overgrown fetus being aborted that not only never happened, but nobody on planet Earth has ever asked for from cinema is an insane right. choice. I do have to say, I would rather see the innards than like the miracle of lifestyle, full spread eagle bush shot. I don't want to see any of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm just if I had to choose, if I had to choose. In a way, it's just the only it's the only redeeming thing that we can say about no name Johnson's birth that we didn't have to see any of it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just like a it's like a meat tunnel. You're just looking at this weird meat (laughs) tunnel. Anyway, the the film, uh, the the overarching theme is, you know, like the director said, we want to look at why she killed herself. Throughout the entire film, she's upset about the fact that she doesn't have a father, which I don't think she was. Like, obviously she was bothered by it, but it wasn't preoccupying her waking moments. And she's preoccupied by the fact that she doesn't have any children. Every man she marries, she calls daddy, daddy, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is 
just lifted from her dialogue and gentlemen prefer blondes. Like, I don't think she ever said, there's no evidence she ever said that in real life. And it's so creepy. So this director, he thinks she's just looking for a father figure and a baby. And it's like, oh my God, you literally hate women so much. Like you can only hate women. This woman is one of the most multifaceted, fascinating, incredible characters of the 20th century and American history. She will go down in the history books forever as one of the most remarkable people that ever lived. And you reduce her to daddy and baby. What? And having sex with the daddies and getting raped by the daddies and giving them blowjobs. Can you believe Anna de Armas had to give a blowjob to a a disembodied fake dick? The first time you ever see her, it's an ass shot of her walking away from the camera. First time you see her as an adult. And you're like, okay. Okay, what the fuck? I was like, that's a really weird choice for a director to make. It's very objectifying. Why would he do that? Why would it not be her famous face? And then two minutes later, she's in a casting meeting and the guy pulls down her underwear. They show a close up of her ass again and he like rapes her. Brutally. So you're like, oh, that's why they started with the butt shot. Like the first mm-hmm. shot of an actor in a movie is very significant. It establishes the character. And you just get the idea that this guy has like a Freudian obsession with this woman's nether regions and it's all about sex for him. That's all he cares about. Then you get, like you said, the, the meat hallway shot. And then you get the JFK blowjob shot. So basically the, the only real storyline where the president is involved, where JFK is involved is like this one weird scene where she's already lost her marbles and she's taken into the, I guess the white house to see him. The door is open. There's a security guard sitting at the door. And while he's on the phone getting accused of sexual assault, he basically pushes her head down and makes, which was, I think would be implied that we've all had our head pushed down. We know what that means. Marilyn would have been like, no, thanks. No. What they do is they soft pour pornify a very, very close up shot of her. Yeah. Like sucking a dildo or something. And it is so weird. It is like not sexy. It's not, but it also, it's just so sad because it's like, if anything that Marilyn, not that we care about what dead Marilyn wants, but it's like, if anything, I think she would want us to know that they actually had a relationship. Yeah. Well, also there, it's not even confirmed that they ever hooked up. They only, met a confirmed four times she definitely yeah i think it's confirmed she i I mean this i need to fact check again the the you must remember this podcast episode about marilyn and the kennedys goes into it more obviously it was rumored and it's now taken for fact in pop culture that they had an affair but they've only met a, a, a confirmed four times and yeah like i don't know if she even did like i don't know it's almost beside the point but then they show her like re like reeling from a rape like she's got a bloody nose and shit after hanging out with jfk also they very neatly get away from the estate issues of getting sued by referring to him in the credits as only the president and they refer to arthur miller as the playwright and they refer to joe dimaggio i don't know how they refer to him but like it's it's so slimy and slithery but like in her internal monologue that's in voiceover while she's giving him a beach she's like i have to swallow Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The whole performance to me came across as pretty stiff because for some reason she was playing a a Marilyn who is completely in Marilyn mode 24 seven. And then the few little moments when she breaks and shows an emotion, her like real accent would come out. So I think she was focusing so hard on like perfecting the voice and perfecting the accent that it kind of affected her performance overall because Mm. whenever she was required to actually perform and show an emotion 
you could hear it come through. And it was a little bit distracting. And people are saying like online, there's this big debate going on, like, oh, it's not fair to say that, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it's it's acting. It's like, like you're, you're supposed to do the voice if you're acting like someone. Alexis Nyris should be thanking her lucky stars that she got Sofia Coppola as the director and Emma Watson's brilliant American Los Angeles performance to play her. It's like, hey, it could have gone way worse. You could have had a, a literal poorly performed takedown of your life postmortem. How lucky that you got to sign away the rights to be an executive producer, Alexis. Enjoy. Right. And Emma Watson, that is actually the only time she's pulled off an American accent in a movie. She's like one of the worst offenders, I feel, for for British people who cannot hide their accent in a movie. Yeah. It's really funny. But the accent wasn't like a deal breaker. The deal breaker for me was the eyebrow and forehead acting. I mean, if you know anything <laughs> about acting, you know that like it's a mark of a so-so actor to be... <gasps> I'm moving right. my eyebrows as much as my Botox will allow, but like well, to, to be moving your eyebrows a- around and like making faces with your eyebrows and like always knitting her brow and everything like that is widely regarded as sort of, you know, vaudeville. Right. I guess. Okay. He wants it to be a howl of pain. Mission accomplished. It certainly was. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit before her accent. She, she does have a Spanish accent. She spent her she childhood. Does. Yeah, she divided her time between Cuba and Spain and the accent comes through. And a lot of people like on Twitter and stuff are saying you can't criticize that because I don't know, I guess they think that she's like downtrodden because she speaks Spanish, but she's not. She's just like a she's just a Spanish what she's a Spanish white person. So she's an actor. Yeah, it's like that's the job. Like if we if we were watching, gee, why does Kate Winslet and Mayor of Easttown have a British accent. It would be, it would be completely distracting. And I found this completely distracting. I thought her accent was completely distracting. And I also, I felt like at the beginning, like actually when she first became Marilyn, I was like, oh, she's doing a good job. Cause like Marilyn's voice was sort of a put on in general, like normal was doing Marilyn. Right. So for it to be a little bit like breathy and like light and okay, that's pretty good. As the film progresses, I don't know what order they shot it in, but it's almost like maybe they went backwards in the way that they shot it. Because at the end of the film, she might as well be off the boat from Cuba she just sounds like she's speaking English with a Spanish accent like without even trying to hide it yeah it's weird because so many people are saying like I don't know why I guess because people don't want to like tear a woman down but obviously we tears multiple women down I know, I know. Tears women down. It also doesn't pass the Bechdel test, which is hilarious. She never has a conversation with another woman. Oh my God, it can't even. It can't. Well, the only conversation she has with another woman is Dimaggio's family. One scene. Yeah, Dimaggio's family where they just roast her. Then there's also just her and her mother at the beginning, but that's not Anna Darmas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, everybody's saying that it was like, they're like, oh, this movie is trash. It's garbage, blah, 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 except Anna de Armas. And I'm just like, I don't know. I disagree. I feel like if you know anything about acting, you know that moving the eyebrows is a dead giveaway that acting is not being accomplished. And you're just kind of it's a little bit of like mimicry to just be oh, like knitting the brows and like the whole movie. All I could look at was her eyebrows and her forehead because I think she was trying so hard to get the Marilyn doll face from like the nose down where she's a little bit a little bit of an open mouth and kind of a kind of a blow up doll before they even existed and then so she's only got the top half for emoting so she kind of was relying a lot on on the uh, yeah i don't know i didn't think it was a great performance and yet to your point whenever she has to break the facade which also i really don't think marilyn spoke in that 
breathy voice 24 seven. I think with her friends, well, she probably talks a little more normal. whenever she's called to break the facade, whenever she's supposed to be angry or upset, the accent comes through. So I don't know. I mean, someone should have done her a solid. I don't know why she signed on to do this movie to begin with. I think it's like as an actress, you don't turn down playing Marilyn no. Monroe with a this guy is a pretty respected director. You wouldn't turn it down. But I wonder if she at some point was like, oh, no. I saw an interview that she did on one of the, I think maybe it was Colbert. He asked her like, because the director made a few comments in some of the articles I read where he was like, the minute I saw Anna, I knew she was my Marilyn, my Magda, if you will. I knew she was my Marilyn. Then Stephen's like, the director, Andrew says that he knew right away that you were Marilyn. And she's like, oh yeah, after three times. So apparently she had to audition over and over and over again. So he's spreading this fanfare that the minute she walked in the room, she knew. And it's like, well, she didn't know. So Stephen's like, well, so when you got the part, was it sort of like you knew you nailed it? And she was like, no, I was shocked that I got the part. They actually gave me a runaround. They gave me three auditions and I was wearing this cheap, dumb mask, just being like, I don't know why they want to see me again, but like, not mask, a cheap, dumb wig. And she's like, "I I guess I'll just go again but like what am I even doing here and then she said it was like a miracle of an opportunity so I think you're right I think that it's like when you get the opportunity to play such an iconic character I think there is it's like I feel like that's where it becomes like Oscar buzz worthy even before it begins it's like so many of the big award seasons reward portrayals of an in real life character like I think biopic as a genre is really hard in general and so especially Hollywood biopic right especially Hollywood biopic so when someone does it well it actually is a great feat because we all have a preconception of that person and so not only are they acting as that person but they're doing and like trigger warning for any sensitive actors out there but like they're doing an impression of you're impersonating someone you're not sure you know you're becoming them you're becoming them but no you're doing an impression of someone that we all know and we're ready to judge your impression now I did think I was surprised I thought she looked shockingly like her I thought she did nail the facial uh like and I think you're right I think that's part of where that she was in her head a bit because I thought that I thought that she looked surprisingly like her mostly where she wouldn't speaking but when they would do those close-ups where she was just sort of like pouty lipped and doe-eyed I was like okay yeah like that does well I could see what he saw I didn't see it because Marilyn actually has a longer face and right. I thought she didn't get Marilyn's essence she didn't get the bubbliness the joy ever and she didn't I don't think she looks like her and like she looks more like Clara Bow. She's got a 1920s round cupy mm-hmm. face. You know what I mean? So I was thinking while watching the movie, all the really gratuitous graphic sex scenes. I'm like, okay, this guy wanted to see Marilyn Monroe sex tape or porn. So he's making it. That's clearly what the goal was. He just yeah. really want, and I don't even know if he knows that consciously. I think that he thinks he's just pursuing truth and art. And it's like, right. you just invented scenarios to defile this woman. Did she really need to be topless when her husband smacked her across the face? Did she really right. need to be topless in the doctor's office when she was shaking in fear while they're injecting her? Like, no, you just wanted to see the tits of a person who's cosplaying Marilyn Monroe. So it's very <laughs> weird to me that like, especially when she's naked, she looks nothing like her she's a completely different body type well the body that for them to not have given her some kind of like body prosthetics is such a disservice to the character because she's actually so lean like anna is so skinny like when they were doing all those like close-up shots of her ass like look at the ass on that gal it's like oh she has like a tiny little ass like what do you mean like this tiny skinny person's ass like what i know she a big juicy ass yeah like she's obviously stunning in her own right it's a different body type and it's a different kind of person and like it just took me out of it the whole movie I'm just like, okay, this is Ana de Armas doing Marilyn. And I think that can work if it's an 
iconic actress with her own screen persona. Ana de Armas is not that person. She right. We should have like, forgotten if this if this was done properly, we would have as an audience forgotten who Ana de Armas was the whole time. That's the thing. Like when you're watching a Marilyn Monroe movie, you can't stop thinking about Marilyn Monroe, and in a good way. You're like, yeah. this lady is a powerhouse. I fucking love her. I can't wait to see what she does next. I just want to see every move she makes. And with Ana de Armas, you're just. I mean, I don't know. She's. I've only seen her in this and Knives Out. In Knives Out, I mean, I'm one of the few people that didn't really like it. She is just oh, so pa- she's just so pouty and sad in it. Everything she does, she's just like, oh, mm, mm, mm. and I'm like. Okay, this is not a compelling well, archetype to me. Like, I'm not sure if anybody else playing that role would have been any different. It was written to be a surprise that she was the benefactor. That's like it. Yeah, but didn't you see the surprise coming 9,000 miles away? Of course. But like, she she was cast as the secret protagonist in the film, and that's the twist. And so it's like, okay, yeah, that I, that was fun. It was, you know, we don't get enough whodunits. Okay, that's sort of fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that, that was a fun movie. Like, I wish I liked it more. I appreciate that it came out. I'm definitely going to see the second one. I think of the worst movies I saw this year, Anna de Armas is starring in both. Oh. Blonde wow. is is horrible, only second to Deep Water. It's yeah. the one that she did with Ben Affleck. Again, it had it was the like press story about it. Like if you ask me what news I heard before, I don't remember if it was Deep Water or Dark Water came out, but the one where she's basically like in an open marriage that's torturing her husband. I read that that was, was going to be stalled by Hulu because when they saw the final cut of it, it was so sexual and abusive that they were like, I don't know if we can stream this, which is exactly what they said about Blonde. And they both are bad movies. Objectively, the worst movies that I was excited about seeing this year, bar none. Yeah, yeah. Let me read you two more quotes that he said. He said, if you look at Marilyn Monroe, she, this is the director, she's got everything that society tells us is desirable. She's famous, she's beautiful, she's rich if you look at the instagram version of her life she's got it all and she killed herself i'm like are you a sophomore in high school like you think this is interesting and she didn't kill herself on purpose she had doctors preying on her and over prescribing her and it was an accident there is no instagram version of her life (laughs) she was in the 1950s and it's also you mean the movies you mean the movies that we saw and the couple of pictures that we got of her at her marriages and her weddings right and i just I just don't buy the fact that she had this completely miserable life. Like she obviously had demons and she had trauma, but I think she was having a lot of good times too. And it's just so weird to me that he's so obsessed with this idea that she was miserable for her entire life. Even if we want to take the the point of view that, okay, she was miserable her whole life. Then the actual story is about the, the inner sense of resolve and confidence that it takes to keep showing up. Like I felt like they missed, they took out these chunks of the story that actually would have been empowering in the Marilyn story. They took out the whole story of the transformation between Norma Jean and Marilyn. I mean, if they were ever going to do any exposition, the big moment was Norma Jean when she decided to become an actress went through a process of multiple physical and character amendments. She changed yeah, transformations. the way that she looked. She changed transformations. She changed the way that she looked. She changed the way they spoke. And so even when you were talking before about like how the whole time she's in this like eyebrows only sort of performance, this her range is actually just upper face, la 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 la. Like a, like a silent that, film. Well, right. But I see, I think that like, mm-hmm. I feel like the goal of Andrew, we don't, we're going to call him Andrew now because he's not worth our, he wouldn't respect him last name director. Okay. But I don't even know what his last name is, but it's like Andrew, the director, the whole thing was meant to be And I think why it came across so flat is because I feel like what he was going for was sort of like this amalgam 
of the sum of her life, which which blended reality and fiction and nonfiction. And so like they would put throughout the film these accent moments where whatever character she was playing on the screen was sort of like mapping what she was going through in her personal life in whatever way. And they were kind of using her films as exposition. But I think that the big piece that's missing is that she says like, this is Norma Jean. Marilyn doesn't exist like over and over and over again. Not only do we need to see the transformation from Norma Jean to Marilyn so that we all are on the same page about when she is one and when she is the other. And then actually she never was Norma Jean in the whole movie. So when you're describing that, like, oh, oh, she was basically just playing the character we saw on screen screen the entire time which then verbally they say it was not the case she's going but that's not me that's Marilyn and it's like well then why are you talking like that and why are you only using your eyebrows yeah that there's that one where that one scene where she's sitting in the theater and she says oh daddy that thing on the screen it isn't me I just can't bring myself to believe that she felt that way she worked her ass off to create quote unquote, that thing on the screen. She was right. proud of herself that she was a good performer. And her main goal for the second half of her career was to get better and better roles and to do more and more serious acting. She was happy. She did do that. The Arthur Miller relationship, which maybe was the only really loving relationship in her life, and I do think they tried to show it, which is the, like what he actually was attracted to in her was how smart she was. Neither was she dumb nor blonde, but okay. It's like, okay, everyone thought she was this dumb blonde. No one's really blonde, you know? <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> LOL, a thousand percent. We all need a little help on that front. Biolage at the very least. But it's like, mm-hmm. I just feel like she was smarter. She and Arthur Miller had a very, from what I understand, a good marriage that they did collaborate a great deal amount in and that he did put her on Broadway and he did actually see her talent and understand that she was a really smart person, you know, like, and even the Joe DiMaggio relationship, like, okay, I gotcha. He didn't like the, he was controlling. He didn't like the subway great scene. He didn't like, you know, other men being near her, which is weird for him to marry her because that's who she is, but okay, okay, okay. But the other thing, if you read anything about the relationship between Marilyn and Joe DiMaggio, even though it was a short-lived thing, they remained friends for Mm -hmm. the rest of her life. They did have a good relationship. They painted it out to be like, he was just nothing but like, I trapped her and now I'm going to whack her around and try to control her life. It's like, no, I do think that they had those issues. But mm-hmm. I think that there was this other piece where I think she was in love with him. And I think she was in love with Arthur Miller as well. And I think they did a real disservice to the fullness of her character by having her remain in Maryland mode the whole time. And then also really be like when I, I hated that scene where she goes to that hotel room and she's like, I think my daddy's going to be there. And then she's like, oh, it's just Joe with a a silly marriage proposal. And it's like, you don't think that she was fucking souped as a mug that Joe DiMaggio was her boyfriend turned husband? No, she, I I would bet that that was romantic. Why did they make it seem like she was just dissociating throughout the entire relationship? Yeah, there's no way that that's true. And here's another thing that he said, the director. Now, to me, that's the most important thing. It's not the rest. It's not the moments of strength. This explains why the film is so depressing. It's not the rest. It's not the moments of strength. She wrested control away from rest with a W. It's confusing when you hear it out loud. She wrested the control away from the men at the studio because, you know, women are just as powerful as men. Can't you hear the tone that he probably oh said that? Oh, my I- God. Because, you know, um, no, I don't think you yeah. know. I don't think you know, but that's really looking at it through a lens that's not so interesting to me. I'm more interested in how she feels. I'm interested in what her emotional life was like. You think a woman's emotional life is not work? 
You don't think a woman's body of work and the way that she presents herself in the world is completely governed by and, and affects your emotional state. Like you think that women just our emotions are just literally for like longing for children and father figures. And that we're always and like, like basically like from the time that we meet adult Marilyn in the film, it's basically just one assault after the other, after the other leading her to her suicide, which is like, right. To think that the only, it's, it's almost like he's like, emotionally abusing the audience where he's he he doesn't even realize the like scenario that he is creating but it's basically to say like one rape and it was all fucked from there and it's like every emotion that she shares if it's not just like oh is like weeping you know where's my daddy where's my daddy like she was wandering around fresno like she was fucking and hey like she's literally like they make her seem like this like <laughs> sort of do you know what i mean like they make her seem like she's this like wacky like buffoonish like but, but my daddy's coming my daddy's coming the aliens told me my daddy's coming it's like yo she yeah she was actually being assaulted over and over and then it wasn't like she just like showed up at the studio and was like here goes another shot it was like she actually had to pick her ass back up and get pumped and like there was a there's a huge confidence about Marilyn Monroe which is what does come across on screen it's why she's such a powerful icon because you can't help but fall in love with her and there is so much behind that blonde facade not just that she can relate to these roles of suicidal psychotic women right and and it really comes across the difference in their demeanor as actresses comes across when they have those scenes where Ana de Armas is singing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend and and things Diamonds like that Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend yeah it's just like I mean she kind of sounded like her singing voice which was good but it, just, it the, sounded just like her with a Spanish accent but the 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 movement the vibe she's just not that person she does not have a single ounce of joy radiating from her in any role i've ever seen her in she's almost like right right she's, her, her default mode and i hate to say this and people are probably gonna get mad but i don't care it seems to me in the two films i've seen her in and this may be because of the source material it's not her fault but her default mode that i've seen her in on screen is damsel in distress even in knives yeah. out the way that she wins yeah. at the end is because of other people doing something for her. It's not her actions. Like, and she seems to perform well in this mode. And, and this is um like a mode that she's happy in, but I just don't think that's who Marilyn Monroe was in any way. Well, I think it's who she was in one of the siloed pieces of her psyche where she was abused all the time. And like, yes, they did a good, it was an absolute pain. howl. it was a how pain. And the, and that's the only part of her. She was just relegated to the to be an abuse victim the entire movie. That's what he's telling us. That's what I want you to understand Marilyn's pain. No, you want to recreate Marilyn's trauma because on some level you've convinced yourself that it's feminist when actually it's just like your own weird kinks showing through. He's a good director, but it's all like boy war movies. Yeah. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It also is like, you know, when we were talking last night about um, keeping up with the Kardashians, it's like the mundanity of life is so hard to narrativize. Like when you watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians and reality shows, you're just kind of like, okay, like Chloe seems to me to be in a free fall right now. She has no idea. You would only pick up on that if you have been watching for a long time. She's not going to know till years later. She's not kicking and screaming and like giving the president a beach. She's just existing. And I think that's probably true of how Marilyn's life was as well. Even though she was dealing with trauma and dealing with depression and drug addiction and things like that, she was probably just hanging out most of the time, you know? Also, was JFK or sorry, sorry, was the president in the film wearing like an adult diaper of some kind? I didn't pick up on that. The first thing I noticed, I like, she like walks in the room to see the president who she has this like soul connection with, she says to the random drivers. And then she walks in, right. And, but then she walks in and he's like laying on his back on the phone, smoking a cigarette, wearing like, like waist high granny panties. It looks like a diaper. It looked like there was, it would look like a, like an institutional diaper, like whatever the straight jacket of underwear is. That's what it looked like he was wearing. Oh yeah. And she had granny panties in the beginning when the, the producer like took advantage of her we had another terrible choice for this filmmaker this really is the last thing and then we'll get into the charts the director also said he doesn't watch marilyn monroe movies he said in an interview with bfi british film institute's sight and sound magazine christina newland was interviewing him and she described him as genuinely gobsmacked when she told him that many of her friends and colleagues enjoy gentlemen prefer blondes which she says he regards like most of Marilyn Monroe's films as little more than cultural artifacts. So then she, yeah, she posted an outtake from the interview and here's how it went. He said, she's somebody who's become this huge cultural thing in a whole load of movies that nobody really watches, right? Does anyone watch Marilyn Monroe movies? And then the interviewer goes, I mean, I do. A lot of my colleagues and friends do. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is one we watch a, a lot. And he goes, really? What is it about it? And she says it has a word and she's this is a great answer and a great distillation of why it's an incredible film and does actually what this film was supposed to do, but in an actually entertaining, enticing way. She says it has a worldview that is quite cynical about men and gender relations in a way that I think a lot of contemporary young women like. And it affords Marilyn's character the credit of her wit. She gets one upmanship on men. She's not a dumb blonde, not really. And he says it's cynical, cynical about women, too, though. And she says, yes, maybe, but it's glamorous. It's a fantasy. And he goes, what? Because they're well-dressed? They're well-dressed whores. I don't know. Oh, my God. Well, and also, even the Mm -hmm. fact that he's even not even how absolutely, I cannot believe the train you just, he just committed suicide accidentally in front of us, too, like Marilyn. But it's like, he doesn't even he he doesn't know how stupid he sounds because why would you think that you were the person who should take on handling the delicate story of Marilyn Monroe and that to think that that you actually can sell that you're doing this with like some loving eyes not from like some vitriolic violent 
woman hating point of view, but then actually out loud declare that why would anybody watch her movies? You're just doing what everybody did to her in the studio system that she wants, that she should be recognized for other things. Do you know what I mean? That was, that's not stupid, but it's like, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, he actually is just diminishing her talent and then thinking that he should be the, he should be the, the filmmaker that paints every brushstroke of her pain. It's like, why do you just want to hurt her? He's telling on himself. You're not a fan. You're not a fan of hers actually. How dare you? He's completely telling on himself and gentlemen prefer blondes is truly one of the best films ever made. It's in my top 10, probably maybe even my top five. It is the most economical film. Every frame is entertaining. It's funny. It's poignant. It makes a political statement. It's fucking incredible. Her first film she was in, she had three lines all about Eve. Masterpiece. Incredible film. Like her films are all good and they're all entertaining. And hmm, what a surprise that this guy who made this fucking clunker doesn't see that and doesn't understand how good her films were. And like, she, he, he actually is telling us, I have no respect for her. Now watch my movie where we disrespect her for three hours. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I, I don't know what, I don't know what, whatever you want to say about gentlemen prefer blondes. Andrew prefers boys. Yeah. Also he for him to just, again, not to harp on it, but for him to make the only happy part of the film, the gay couple that actually never was is just, so weird to me it's so it just makes no sense i didn't get it i was like what is this supposed to symbolize or signify it's truly just tawdry oh and here's the most ironic the first the first sex that she enjoys is where she's getting double teamed by two guys who would never have yeah it's ridiculous the most ironic thing is the the book this is based on blonde by joyce carol oates was written as a response to all of the men who were writing misguided books about Marilyn Monroe. Whoa. So he must have really taken the script and adapted it for a screen with a lot of uh, liberties. Yeah. And she has not, Joyce Carol Oates has not been tweeting about it and she tweets about everything. Like, I don't think she liked it. It's just so funny. Like she wrote it because Norman Mailer did a book about Marilyn. Like a bunch of people were doing all these books capitalizing on her which again, I think is fair. And then I think it's awesome that Joyce Carol Oates comes out and says, well, let me do a fictionalized version from a female perspective. And then this guy bases his on that. And this is what we get. It's insane. So, okay, let's do the astrology. Joyce is not tweeting and she tweets everything. Okay, sorry. I don't know why I just get that out. But like, <laughs> I really I like felt, that. Felt like a good one to me. So- Let's see here. What have we got? What have we got cooking in the kitchen of this woman hating depiction of the of the waste of Marilyn Monroe's life? Okay, so uh, first things first, just get some basics out of the way. Anna de Armas is a Taurus sun. Did I say she has the the wide face? Crazy, but you nailed it. Yeah. Taurus trademark. Taurus trademark. Gigi Hadid. The wide circular face. It's adorable. It's lovely. It's not really Marilyn. Okay, sorry. Keep going. So she's a Taurus sun, Libra moon, another Libra moon to be discussed. And uh, we don't know the rising because the time, we don't have a time. Now let's look at Marilyn. But I'll tell you the one thing yeah. that I have in common that I think is driving this whole thing. So Marilyn is a sun in Gemini, moon in Aquarius. So this is a lot of air sign moon stuff. The director, Andrew, whatever, is a Libra sun with a Scorpio moon, no shit. But the thing about Anna versus Marilyn's charts to me 
that is the the crux of this comparison is that they have the da 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 look at it mall exact same lilith in leo and, and that's what i have i have that yes you do yeah this is a good lesson this is a good lesson blondie <laughs> Now let's just just look at Marilyn for a second. Marilyn, we do have a time for. So she is a Leo rising. No shock there. With Neptune conjunct her Ceres, conjunct her Lilith. She's a first house Lilith in Leo with her grief asteroid, her mother grief asteroid, and her her escapist fantasy, you know, sort of um creative but also delusional planet of neptune so to me not only is this showing that she would have done whatever it took to be seen to be recognized to be famous there's also an element of like like because she's an aquarius moon in the seventh house conjunct jupiter that's where and she's a gemini sun she actually had more of an ability to dissociate than i think andrew graver gave her credit for like i actually think she did make a deal with the devil and she did trade in when she found out what the real scoop behind the industry was. She didn't leave. She said, okay, yeah, like I will keep showing up for this. And if they abuse me, I will detach. And if they try to fuck with me, I will come back harder and stronger with an even bigger hit and an even more famous husband or boyfriend. Go ahead. I think she was someone who wanted to reform from within. Like she played yes. the game for as long as she could until she then took action. She like the, the HUAC hearings, people don't even understand what a huge deal that was that she was like standing up for people and saying they weren't communists and like all the stuff she did. She was like, I'm going to get inside the house so I can burn the house down and remake it in, in my image. She also was so savvy about the way that Hollywood worked and the way that she was able to leverage her sexuality for fame and fortune and success beyond her wildest dreams. She was so smart about it that she took the role in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which skewers that whole idea in a very effective way. Like she got it. She understood. Like, yes, people were exploiting her because like every famous person is getting exploited to some extent. We're exploiting this entire film right now because we're talking about it for our own gain. That's exploitation but like she also was smart she was in on it she was she had agency she had so much more agency than this stupid movie gave her there is heavy like addiction and escapism in this chart and there is there is the ability to sort of like go up into your fantasy world which i think they tried to depict with the sort of like phantom father that she was always talking to or receiving letters from corny it was just right like they and they didn't really do her any justice like i'm sure that the invented father that she had in her head was saying a few other things than i'm coming for you i'm coming for you marilyn wait for me i'm coming for you it's like i don't know it's just like that really offered us nothing other than just making her look sort of delusional which she might have been, but I actually think she was really and pointed about her delusions. I think she was really, I think she had, because, look, all those rapes. I don't think she was I think delusional. She actually, well, so I think she wasn't, that's exactly, I don't think she was delusional. I think she had the tool in her tool belt to dissociate and use it as a tool. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think the the movie made her look with the dad fantasies so simple-minded. Just right. so dumb, so dumb. And it's like, she definitely wasn't, you have to be so smart to accomplish what she accomplished. Right. And it's like, you know, I think she is a Gemini Aquarius. So 
there's a part of her that can sort of not only dissociate, but sort of like play. I, I, I totally get the dual roles of Marilyn versus Norm, Norma Jean. I don't know why in the film there weren't two versions of Anna de Armas's portrayal. I think because the director was actually trying to undermine Marilyn and Norma in a way and just kind of make it like no the collection of this whole storyline was just abuse and then suicide and it's like no that actually specifically was not true and I can see it in the chart she actually could work that's why she was an actor she could dissociate and work with different characters that did you know maybe develop in her mind it's why she was a talented person it's why she actually did love to read and why she did have certain philosophies about motivation and filmmaking and why she's studying Chekhov at night when she's just like at home crying otherwise so you know and I also think this woman is driven by and ruled by the desire Lilith in the first house in Leo to be seen and to be celebrated and to be adored and be known for her talent and beauty and you know sort of you know this this like feminine feminine powerhouse that you can't ignore I'm a first house Lilith too it's like there's either a repression of your feminine self or there is this uh, feminine and, and erotic self or there's like an explosion of and I think that she wasn't like a wounded Lilith who just like kept getting ignored and used I think that she was a really empowered and was like oh I'm gonna fuck them up with my beauty and I'm gonna fuck them up with my talent and I'm secretly gonna hit him with the one-two punch of being this fucking hot and also surprise I'm smart as shit I think the idea that this person especially with all of this air in her chart in terms of her sun and her moon this actually isn't a particularly weepy chart yeah I agree I mean she wasn't like I think so I think she was depressed no shit but I think being a woman in in that time was depressing Right. And not to keep beating the drum of how much she cared about her career, but like, yeah, her being a Leo rising, it's like she got to the point where she was the most famous woman on the planet, hands down. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't enough for her. She wanted to also be respected as an actor. So it just shows you just how much she cared about her career. It was all about that for her. Mm -hmm. Like she, and it was a conscious decision to keep climbing and climbing and climbing and It wasn't this dissociative thing where she was just letting men use her as a pawn. Because if she was letting men use her as a pawn, first of all, she would have done more movies because she was more selective than than the studio heads wanted her to be. And now I'm thinking, after we talked all this shit about What's-His-Face, the director. Andy. Yeah, she's a Gemini son, and he had a Gemini line and thing in the film. Do you think he's into astrology? That would be the ultimate plot twist. This man who clearly cannot comprehend women as three-dimensional figures is also into astrology there's no way that he's into astrology and not only does he not know about women and dimension the fact that they even made like gemini the stars a part of that like because even in i would be shocked if in the book there might have referenced gemini gemini in the book there's no way in the book there was a fictional scene where she was having a threesome she was in a throuple with a gay couple who were all staring at the stars together. And then one of them shoehorned themselves in. He just, because he doesn't know about astrology or women or actually the intricacies of human uh, emotion and range period. I think he was like, Oh, this will just make sense. And it's like, no, it actually doesn't make sense. Yeah. 
It doesn't make no, sense. No, I don't think he's into astrology. I think he's into like weird sex. Yeah. That's yeah. like literally it. I think that's what he's into. And I have his chart up too, but let's look at Anna and Marilyn together. I mean, the major thing that I see between them is again, this Lilith conjunct Lilith connection is where they do have from a deep archetypal, dark, erotic, feminine place, the same, they are motivated by the same desire to be seen and to be celebrated for their talent and to be celebrated as, as talented, beautiful, loved, adored. They also are both, when I see Lilith in, in Leo, and you can tell me if this is true Catholic school, but I do tend to think that Lilith in Leo indicates that like something about childhood stopped you from fully being able to lean into play. And now I'm going to have to think really hard about this. Wait. Okay. Hold, keep going. I'm sorry. I need to get in thinking mode, please. Something in childhood motivated you to stop leaning into play. Yeah. Like there or, or not like leaning into play, but like even like going to parochial school must That's make the, the, the ability to like choose your own outfits, the ability to flirt, the ability to feel comfortable kind of, you know, in these different roles that you can like, you know, you, you play make believe you play dress up, you play, you know, you, even just the act of getting dressed for school every day is like a creative exercise in sort of becoming yourself, which falls in that Leo category. It also is, you know, Lilith and Leo. I think that sometimes li- people with Lilith and Leo tend to feel like on some level as a child. And it's something that they then overcompensate for. It's why your wedding was so motherfucking spectacular because i think as a as a child and past life uh remembering there's sort of an energy of like don't put your love on blast don't put your heart on blast don't play big play reasonable play appropriate play play within the lines color within the lines be it be good enough to be accepted instead of really being yourself and so i think anna and marilyn have that in common and perhaps you do too I mean, I think I do. Listen, these are the, icon- I think Lilith and Leo is the most iconic thing in the world, I have to say. And I'm not just being biased because it's mine. I probably am. But let me read to you who are the other celebrities with Lil- Lilith and Leo besides Marilyn, Ana de Armas, and your girl. Barack Obama, Rihanna, Pablo Picasso, Vladimir Putin, JFK, and Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> Whoa, but little the, Jeffy. And, and that is the shortest when you said little Jeffy's rape land or whatever, when you're talking little about his island. Rape island. Yeah, it's so funny. But okay, I think everyone who's Lilith and Leo, like you're saying, like, yes, we have this desperate need to be seen as talented and influential and good at what we do. And we also have an inner, we have a chip on our shoulder in a way and a, and a feeling of having had to grow up too fast for whatever mm-hmm. reason. And I think, I think that's, maybe that's something they both share. I mean, honestly, Armist, you know, I don't know if I'm reading this girl completely wrong, but like most of the stuff people say about her does not resonate with me. Well, I mean, what have, like, what have you heard people say about her? Just that this, that she was good in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I definitely agree with that. I definitely don't. I don't think it was a good movie. I don't think she was that good in it. I did think physically she she looked more like Marilyn than I expected, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, yeah, she tried and she did 
uh, she did a very good job with the source material she was given. But I mean, I just thought, I just thought she was miscast. I just thought she was miscast. You know what I was going to ask you before? Who would you have cast? You know what? I, I'm so glad you asked me that because I was trying to think of this earlier. And I think I would have gone full camp, which is always my answer. You know, like when we were talking about the Diana, the Diana musical, Diana, the musical, which we did last year, which everyone should go back and re-listen to. Um, like that, that would have, they, that was a complete miscasting. They should have yes. cast a drag. They should cast a drag queen. Like they should have cast a tall, blonde, beautiful. Yeah. Wow. A drag queen is a great idea. Yeah. So like for this, Whoa. I mean, I would go. Molly, for I someone. cannot wait until I just want to say, I cannot wait until you actually are like a film director. Like that Thank is you. such a good idea and such a, a more nuanced way to, to articulate the true story of this of this character who actually was was herself and then playing Marilyn Monroe. Like, I just think it's so stupid that he- No, no, no. I think this. in this, I wouldn't- That was for Diana. I would have cast a drag oh, queen. Oh, I think Diana. in this, a drag queen would be incredible. No, I think in this, I think in this, it would, I would pick someone who has had an equally controversial and embattled experience in the public eye, but also I don't think Marilyn was considered embattled until she died. She, there was rumors that she was a diva on the set of the misfits, which were completely untrue, which you can listen to in in a back episode of this podcast back when it was diva behavior. But I think at the time that she was alive, she wasn't that controversial. I don't know. It needs to be someone. Marilyn Monroe was a character actor and the character she was playing was Marilyn Monroe. Anna de Armas is not that. She does not have a persona. She is not an archetype. She's a damsel in distress, if anything. Marilyn was never, ever, 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 ever that. So it needs to be someone who's brash and bold. I would cast like Madonna, Miley Cyrus. Yeah, but not a current Madonna. Not current Madonna, but back in the day, Madonna, like I would cast someone who's got that really confident sexuality, which Anna Darmus also like all of her sexual scenes. She was like a bruised puppy. Like she was never excited. Well, there was such a lack. The performance had such a lack of agency. Like what you just said. It's like, even when she's having that scene where she's being DP'd by two gay guys, she's like, what's happening? What's happening? It's like, yeah, she just seems like she's being like thrown around by everyone in the film, which I guess is a, point that the director was trying to make but it's a little bit like I feel like that point has been made ad nauseum and a different perspective or just a more rich portrayal would have been what the market would be benefited by and instead this was just like it was just like a recree of all the horrible things that we have heard happened in her life and chalking it up to that. Yeah. I also think Diana's easier to cast because she was not a performer. So the only evidence of her that we have is these pretty much mostly extremely bland interviews. And there aren't that many of them. So like when you cast like Kristen Stewart as Diana was great. That was like an expressionistic portrayal where you were like, okay, she doesn't sink into the role, but I'm enjoying watching her play this, you know, whereas with Marilyn, Marilyn was one of the best performers of all time. Like, you know, she's the Michael Jackson of actresses, but she's just the most arresting performer. So who's going to measure up? Who else is that good? Who else is that good? You know, Ashley Benson. What? Are you serious? 
serious? I really like Ashley Benson. It's just sort of like a secret, like girl crush of mine. But yeah, she's not, when you said like, she has to be like an iconic good actress. I was like, okay, you can't say that. But it's like, not that Ana de Armas isn't young. She's, she's our age. But, like, she never became Marilyn. She wasn't even Norma. She just never stopped being Ana de Armas. Like, I just feel like maybe somebody that we just don't have, like, a, a relationship with. Like, like this should have been, somebody should have been discovered in this movie. You know who would have been great? Scarlett hmm. Johansson. Oh. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why would, ScarJo got robbed. Although, actually, she got saved. But, like, yeah. Even if it was Scarjo, it might have had more nuance because she's such a seasoned professional and such a confident, outspoken, creative powerhouse of a performer. And this is her life's work. Yeah. Oh my God. No, no, Scarlet. Well, I remember when she first hit the scene and she was doing all these sort of like sexy ingenue roles. And I read this thing that was like Scarlett Johansson actually has 14 piercings and she won't tell us where they all are. And I was like, okay, that's hilarious. I think I don't I, I think people who get a ton of piercings are like adorable anyway because I'm just like oh you're trying to look cool but like I don't know I just thought it was so funny she's like this uber feminine sex symbol and she's just walking around with hot topic attached to her body I don't know (laughs) she's got she contains multitudes I like that well although I don't know is this film nailable I think he took somebody's good book turned it into a bad script and made an even worse movie here's my fan fiction that I'm completely making up right now in my mind Scarlett Johansson turns down this and my week with Marilyn because remember my my week with Marilyn another just complete lies this guy who worked as a PA on one of her movies after she died wrote this book about how like they had a week-long affair and it's like no you definitely didn't but she's not here to to refute it she doesn't have any kids she doesn't have anyone really that cares enough about her estate to to run it so that that film can't get made but michelle williams was pretty good in that but again it's it's like i think these male authors and directors and filmmakers i don't know why they latch on to the idea of woundedness with her where whenever i'm watching something with her that is the last thing that comes across like yes she was a coquette but she was not wounded and sad. Like, I don't know. I don't know why people latch onto that and it's no fun. Well, and it's also like, I think she was deeply wounded and she was deeply sad. The fact that that doesn't come across in her films and that she accomplished as much as she did in a very short time indicates that she wasn't just like marred with deep sadness and depression and walking around like right. this big wounded sex doll. Actually, she she was not ruled by her sadness and her, the abuse she, she, I mean, maybe she was, maybe she was creating from a sort of an oppositional energy to that, where she was like, oh, you're going to try to abuse and ignore me and abandon me as a child. So I'm going to go the other way and not be ignorable, not be, not be ignorable, not be abusable, even if you're abused. Like I could see it being like, like, okay, she's wounded. And that's, what's driving a lot of the, that's, what's motivating her to keep going despite it all but just right to see her as this walking bruise is really insulting i mean she was clearly a good hang she partied with frank sinatra and ella fitzgerald like she was was fucking right she was cool enough to get married all those times to actually really cool dudes she didn't stay married although she did stay friends with joe dimaggio dimaggio for long and arthur miller is one of the best creative minds of that time she obviously wasn't just weeping all day or like upset because she cut the roses too short She wasn't like, she was with one of the most intellectual men on the planet. There's no way she was just some dumb, dumb crier. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the takeaway is this. Watch an old Marilyn movie before you get within 10 feet of this film because... And don't direct a film about anybody unless you like them. Right. And like, see them for the person that they are. Like, this is like a hate film. This is like he's, he hate watched all the Marilyn movies. And I was gonna, I'm gonna make a movie about how much I hate her. Right. Also, you know, just because someone died at their own hand doesn't mean their entire life was a sob fest, you know? And it doesn't mean that they meant to. Yeah, it doesn't mean they meant to. Like Kat Marnell, who's a writer who used to write for Exo Jane and Vice, one of the best things that she's written was about Whitney Houston when she died because Whitney Houston Ooh. died in the bathtub. And Kat basically wrote about how, you know, this is just kind of something that happens when you're a drug addict. And it's, again, you're not really going out with a bang. It's just like something that's that can be sort of, there's an inevitability to it that, isn't really as dramatic as this movie tried to make it out to be. It's just, I don't know. I don't yeah. know the, the point that I'm trying to make, like it's, it's a tragedy and it's an avoidable tragedy, but it's not like it's, it's such an over oversimplification to be like, Oh, their entire life must've been a nightmare. You know what? It could have been a comeback film for like Jeanette McCurdy or something where somebody who actually, there, there just was no mm. nuance in the performance. And like, they make such a point of it. If they're going to sh- do a whole beginning arc where we see her as a child with her mother her mother should play a larger role in it other than just the two times she goes to visit her in the nursing home and she doesn't remember her you're showing us that her mother tried to drown her in a bathtub and the only thing that we see from her childhood as like a flashback or the thing that recurs is that she's like mama doesn't even remember me now and it's like so and that was like yeah that was the director shading her for getting a nose job and dyeing her hair it's like yeah she grew up she looks different like people who have dementia or whatever don't remember their kids Ana de Armas is a joyless performer I think that's my issue by the way I just realized what it is she's she's joyless and I don't like that when I watch a movie I want it to be fun and joyful even if it's dealing with dark subject matter that's why i liked rocket man so much more than bohemian rhapsody because bohemian rhapsody was so trite and maudlin during the dramatic parts and rocket man right. was so realistic and had high highs and low lows and you know what else i think and then i think we can wrap margot robbie i w- so margot robbie was my first choice and then the thought that i had is like she's too she's too tall and skinny yeah, that's true. Like, I do that's think true. that like the body of Marilyn was such a huge part of the conversation about her. Okay, Arma has Anna has nice tits and she has a cute ass. But like I think like the reason Scarlet is such an obvious pick is because she's so buxom. Mm-hmm. Penelope Cruz, let's give her a shot. Penelope, if we can do a Spanish accent anyway, let's do it. Let's give yeah, yeah, let's yeah. let's get Penelope in there. You know, I will say the one thing that this I think does shift is like I, I think the one thing about this is it's really good for Kim K because I think that this movie is more insulting, bar none, than wearing one of Marilyn's <laughs> dresses. <laughs> oh, that's such a good point. Kim's so like, true. yeah, yeah, we all saw the movie. Did you guys? Kim is sending everyone to the movie. Yeah. Oh, also, wow. how did they not do a happy birthday, Mr. President scene? That we just had been... to see her suck his dick real quick, but then there was nothing else. I know. I mean, now I'm thinking, trying to think what would have been more painful to watch. 
a imitation happy birthday of Mr. President. I mean, Lana, I would rather see Lana in this role, but also would again, rather see Lana. I don't want to see anyone in this role. I don't think anyone needs to do it. I understand why Ana de Armas took it. It's you, you can't pass up playing Marilyn. It's Oscar bait times a thousand. I don't think, right. I think this movie is such a shit show. It's not going to be, but she probably thought it was. No, it I is just, not a going to be. Yeah. She probably thought it was. And she was probably really upset by the NC 17 rating because I think that pretty much throws it out of the running. Like, I don't think there's any rules against it, but I think the Academy is going to be like a beach. No. No, thank you. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I hope the next Marilyn biopic is a little more joyful, a lot more joyful. Yeah, let's get a Marilyn like, well, that's why maybe I'll ask Jess. Maybe Jess will come on the pod and see if she can contact Marilyn from the other side. Because if, if Marilyn does have a review of the film, we'd love to hear it. Yeah, we need that. Okay, so everybody, Spirit Baby, Baby Medium, Jess McKeown, check out her website. Highly recommend buy her products, tell her space trash sent you. And maybe we can get her on the pod to channel Norma Jean Baker. That's what we need. And I also want to say while we're on the topic of channeling, so insane that Ana de Armas as part of this press tour was like, I felt her presence on set and I went to her grave and asked her for- Oh my God, wait, how did we not? Oh my God. Yeah, she said she like went to the grave and and that she felt Marilyn's presence on set and all the stuff. And it's like, oh my God, you- And she would have said these comments after she saw the final cut. So I don't know if she's completely high on her own supply or what, but- I think that- that's like a like a justification of like you know like yes it is it is an abusive horrible howl of a cry of a film but Marilyn said it was fine right exactly and it's like oh yeah 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 girl go show Norma being gratuitously raped for three hours and and you know what while you're at it say that Cass and Eddie were gay <laughs> yeah like there's no way the other thing about the film when she got that thing at the end like the 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 tiger the used tiger stuffed animal with the note from Cass that was like there was never any father love Charlie Chaplin's son it's like why would he do that yeah what does that mean did that happen why why on earth would no. an ex lover of hers send her a to my daughter card with a tattered up I mean perhaps it was just like again part of the like because I think that what the director was trying to do was like blur all the worlds into just showing the point of view of this walking wound. And so everything was like, I'm talking to my daddy. The tiger came back to me. The Right. So that he was kind of like showing maybe or trying to demonstrate that maybe she had some kind of a like an in and out of reality experience herself. And so that a lot of the things that happened in the film were actually like metaphors or just like what was going on in her own dumb little wounded mind. But I don't just don't know. I just like, not only did you make Charlie Chaplin's son a gay and having threesomes with Marilyn Monroe, which never happened. And blackmailing her. And blackmailing her. And now you have her him emotionally torturing torturing her. Like, can we hear from Charlie? Ch- Is he still alive? Cast, if you're listening, why are they fucking dogging you? He was thrown under the bus more than anybody in this film, but I don't know why. I know. Not that it's thrown under the bus to be gay, but if it's not actually true, it's just a weird thing to have. It's a like, weird detail. It's a huge it's a it's a, to have it streaming on every television on the planet that you actually were gay with some other actor's son is just like so it's just it, it's just so weird and like a polyamorous blackmailer it's a, it's not right. it's not helping the poly community or the gay community or technically the blackmail community right and it's just like charlie <laughs> chaplin's so we just want Charlie. we want to remember charlie chaplin as one of the first filmmakers who did silent talkies and we want to think of his son as actually like the biggest scum the, the biggest closeted scumbag in the like i just don't understand why why we're taking down Cass. 
Right. And why are we not putting in the real villains of her life like Hugh Hefner, who completely exploited right. her by right. buying her her nude photos and publishing them without her consent and then buying the grave thing underneath her uh, above her tomb so that he will be on top of her forever in the afterlife. Hugh Hefner did that. What? Yes. It's not cool and it's not cute and it's not glamorous. Wait, 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 wait. What did he do? Let me read it because I wrote about it for Galore. Oh my, that is like and my bosses were like my bosses were like obsessed with Hugh Hefner and they were definitely pissed that I published this and I was like I don't fucking care okay my headline was Hugh Hefner will be buried next to Marilyn Monroe and it's not cute (laughs) so because everyone was like oh my god how cute he he's being buried next to his first cover model and they're going to be like together forever. He also has a Lilith and Leo, I'm pretty sure. So Whoa. he bought the crypt next to Marilyn Monroe's grave back in 1992 so he could be entombed beside her. Spending eternity next to Marilyn is too sweet to pass up, he reportedly once said. And everyone was like, oh, he was like the king of blondes and he's staying with the the queen of blondes forever. And it's like, no, he's such a fucking creep. Like, put that no, in the He's movie. like the king of, he's the king of douchebags uh basically like like uh, like assaulting her in the afterlife like who i was like who knew you Hefner was so spiritual that he was like i'll lay with her forever like the fact that he's even planning for his life after death is a little bit like okay Hugh, that's sort of deep i guess but it's like also no he's basically just forcing himself upon her for for eternity how about one of your four wives any of them get get married get buried next to them well, that's because he's like, there was no ever real wife other than Marilyn, yeah. who who I a- abused first. Right, exactly. So gross. Ugh. Okay, are we doing Dahmer tomorrow? What do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of scared. I heard it's scary. Oh, right. But the thing I want to say about the Kardashians, just while we now have to have like an obligatory trash, not trash, an obligatory discourse about what the fuck is going on with Chloe and the Kardashians, there is no way in hell that she's dating that guy that now they're posting her everywhere with. He's got to be a paid oh, Italian actor. There's, there's no way that she's dating him. No, yeah, he's a, he's a patsy for sure. Yeah. He's being paid for this. This, He's, he might as well be an escort. They don't even have any pictures of them together. They just have the pictures next to them together and reporting it. I feel like this is like somebody paid to get this story out. And he was like, yeah, sure. Use my name, whatever. Just get my name going around the, the United States because I'd like to have a career there someday too. I will say this whole conversation has only further buttressed my opinion that Kim Kardashian was absolutely right to wear Marilyn Monroe's dress to the Met Gala, even though it didn't fit because she, they like thinking about how much Marilyn was not a victim of her circumstances and made the best of it and was completely self-made in every single sense of the word. Kim took that even a step further to like completely fabricate many different aspects of her personhood and to great effect that her goal is to be world famous and rich. And she's doing it with the fabrication of her identity and persona. That is Marilyn. And it's not something to, it's not saying that they're fake. It's saying that they're smart and they are again, the CEO and architect of their own, the business of themselves. So, I mean, I'm still for life, a, a supporter of Kim wearing that dress, but I just wanted to reiterate that. The fabric. The fabric of the fabrication. <gasps> the fabric mm-hmm. of the fabrication. The broke Stretching down fabric. The fabric. <laughs> right. Right. Whoa. Deep. The f- deep. The fabric that made people think about Ripley's, believe it or not, 
without walking past it for the first time ever in the world. People were getting so upset. They're like, this dress is destroyed. It's a Ripley's Believe It or Not exhibit, sweetie. You don't care. Don't pretend you care. That's what I say. It it would be at the Met. Right. All these people who didn't care about it two weeks before suddenly are like fighting for the right of this dress. It's like, mm, no. It should be in the Smithsonian. This dress that wasn't even a draw for... Like, no one was like, we're going to this, we're going to this Ripley's, believe it or not, because we want to see the dress. No one even remembered it fucking existed. And especially if you don't even have enough, if, if as a culture, we don't have enough respect for the incident and this dress and the way it was worn and when it was worn to put it in a three hour biopic about Marilyn. It wasn't that fucking big of a deal. The reason that that dress and that performance was so major, actually, is because it wasn't it the last thing that she did before she died. Yeah, it was pretty shortly before she died. Yeah. And so that should maybe... be the fucking last song of the film before she croaks. Yeah. I mean, because she has so much agency in that moment. No one told her to get up there and sexily sing happy birthday to the president that she may or may not have been sleeping with. No one told her to do that. If anything, people probably actively advised, advised her against it. But this movie is not about the things that Marilyn did. It's about the things that happened to her. And that's why probably they didn't put it in the movie. They had the, all the other numbers she was singing, all the other photo shoots. They were all things that were staged in the director's eyes by other people, even though the person that's being portrayed is the person that she invented for herself. But yeah, he doesn't want to believe that she invented this herself. He wants to believe it was thrust upon her and she was miserable and she just wanted to die for her entire life. Right. No, she was a super air fire actor with a deep imagination, perhaps some substance abuse issues that, you know, who doesn't, who doesn't have a few substance abuse I mean, this podcast, at the beginning of this episode, Molly tried pumpkin beer. She made a overt grimace and she actually still drank the whole thing in front of us during this conversation. So yeah, we're not judging that. That's fucking normal ass people shit. Finish the beer. We have chug it. We have compulsions. We do. As people do. But ultimately, what Marilyn, I think, like, he missed so many, like, fine, show every single thing that you did, but actually show her being fucking dope, too. The fact that she even was who she was and created what she created, even if all of these gratuitous sexual assaults are true, which we probably don't need to see on camera, but okay, at least show us how... How show us how strong she is to have overcome this systemic abuse that was Hollywood. And right. It's like it's like actually like if you're showing how like her her films tracked into like her real life, um, like the soundtrack of her real life, then shouldn't we give her a little more credit of being actually more in control than he's making it out to be? Yeah, exactly. That's what we do on this podcast. We give Chloe agency. We give Alexis agency. We give Marilyn agency. We know that these women are not victims of circumstances. They are making choices in a world where, yes, the choices are fraught a lot of the time for women. And yes, it's very difficult. And yes, you have to save your soul. You have to sell your soul for success. But if you can navigate it properly, even if you navigate it improperly, it's interesting. And we want to talk about it. And that is more interesting than shit that happens to you. Dahmer next. Everybody watch so we can discuss because honestly, we're going on Dark Movie Weekend. This is welcome to Dark Movie Weekend. (laughs) Spooky season. Oh, yeah. Spooky season, spooky movies, and spooky people at the Space Trash Podcast. (laughs) Space Trash. Trash in space. Space Trash. Lifestyles of the rich and Uranus. Space Trash. Celebrities, they're trash. 
but the astrology can help us understand. Transmission incoming. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.